Welcome to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, making it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Brought to you by Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By the University of Akron. Visit areyououtthere.com. to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field downtown Cleveland as we continue our hot stove shows on Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us as we get closer to pitchers and catchers reporting the spring training. Won't be long now. February the 12th, the report date for Cleveland Indians pitchers and catchers. Most teams around baseball the same. Before that, though, don't forget next week coming up, Tribe Fest here in downtown Cleveland over at the Intercontinental Hotel right near the Cleveland Clinic main campus. So that'll be a great way to stoke the hot stove fires for you and get you ready for a new season to come right around the corner. Coming up on this week's show, we will meet the Indians' new Director of Player Development, the farm system, the backbone of everything that the Indians do. And James Harris is the new man in that position. He comes from the Pittsburgh Pirates organization where he spent a year after spending 19 seasons in the football game, both college and NFL. And he says there's some great reasons to be involved with the great game of baseball now. I was really excited to, to kind of see. I love the development side. I love the college part of my career. Uh, but yet I love the aspect of the NFL of, of where you're, you're preparing people to be the best in the world at what they do. So baseball allowed me to combine both. Um, both you get to develop a player, you get to know him over a, a long period of time, and then you get to see him play at a very high level against other people who are the best in the world at what they do. Uh, that's exciting. You get both. Also coming up on this week's show, another installment of our Game of the Week. We take you back to the first game of the Tribe's postseason, Game 1 of the American League Division Series against the Boston Red Sox. Lest you forget what may have happened big in that game. A mob scene in the Indians' third base dugout. Three home runs in the inning. So that's coming your way shortly, as well as a ton of news and notes this week. And we'll also talk Hall of Fame. That's all coming up as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. We are joined now by James Harris, who is the Indians' new director of player development. He's going to take over as the head of the farm system. Carter Hawkins still in the organization, and he'll uh, certainly help with that transition. And, uh, James, for you, certainly uh, coming in new to the organization, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of catch-up work going on right now. For you, we were talking earlier uh, about 160 players and uh, about half that many uh, staff and coaches. Uh, you know all the names yet and, and met everyone personally already? <laughs> Not even close. Uh, there's a lot of people. This is a people business. So, gotta. I mean, right now their names on, on paper. I've met a couple guys, met a, a majority of the staff. i got a long way to go to knowing everyone. But I'm looking forward to getting out in the spring, seeing guys move around, 
being around the staff, getting to know people on an individual level. And we'll visit with you often over the course of the season to catch up on, on some of the young prospects and, and introduce them to the fans along the way. But for the purposes of this interview, we wanted to, to gain some insight into your background, which is maybe uncommon for, for a, a baseball team as a new hire in, in your position. You have a, a big football background. And explain that. How long had you been uh, both in college and the NFL? And, and what are some of the things that can transfer over to the baseball side? Yeah, I worked in football for 19 years before I moved over to the baseball side. I uh, worked a year um, in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, which gave me an understanding of how, to, how the skills transfer into both. I mean, we're trying to acquire, develop, and, of course, retain our, our players and staff. So it's the same thing. It's just a different timeline. In football, uh, you get a player in in the NFL, and the, that person's going to play for you within six months. And in baseball, they might not play for you for six years. So you have a little bit of time to develop them as a person and a player, um, which is very similar to college football. Uh, you recruit a player, you bring them into your organization, and you try to teach them over four years how to, how to play the sport and how to be a man. Um, and I don't see that too much different from what we're doing here in baseball. Nineteen years in the game of football. Why the change for you personally? I was really excited to, to kind of see. I love the development side. I love the college part of my career. Uh, but yet I love the aspect of the NFL of, of where you're, you're preparing people to be the best in the world at what they do. So baseball allowed me to combine both. Um, both You get to develop a player, you get to know him over a, a long period of time, and then you get to see him play at a very high level against other people who are the best in the world at what they do. Uh, that's exciting. You get both. The last years uh, of your football career were spent with Chip Kelly, who certainly gained notoriety for what he did with Oregon on the college level, and then uh, some good seasons with the Eagles, too. Uh, what were some of the things you learned from him, or, or maybe you were able to implement into his program that were really successful there that, that maybe translate here? Yeah. Uh, I worked with, with Chip for seven years, and one of the things that were was a, a paramount of the programming that we developed there was it was very player-centric. Uh, we looked at each player as an individual, and we tried to do things specific to them. And a lot of people will call it sports science, but all it is is looking at each individual player and trying to figure out what his body needs to succeed at a high level. So whether it be nutrition, whether it be just education about who they are, um, it might be training, it might be skill development, but it's individual to that particular person. And that focus is something I, I learned from Chip, and he pushed every single day. Are there some things uh, that you can, can work into the baseball end uh, right away, even as early as this spring? Yeah, I think um, we're starting to work together with the staff, take a look at what we're doing from a strength and conditioning standpoint. This place has been cutting edge for a long time, so it's not anything that I'm bringing new. I'm just kind of pulling it all together, trying to find the whys behind everything and starting to, to, to develop more education for the players so they understand what they're doing um, along those lines too. But there's been a lot of great people here for a long time, and being able to continue to do what we've been doing great and kind of uh, and kind of pull us together and make some things a little bit more efficient, I think we can we can keep it going. James Harris joining us. He's the Indians' new director of player development. He'll run the farm system. And uh, it's interesting how the game of baseball works. We talked earlier about relationships and how you came in contact with the people here in Cleveland initially. Take us back a couple of years so while you were with the Eagles and, and who showed up one day and, and how that developed. Yeah, a couple of years ago, um, when I worked in the front office of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, I got a call from Mike Chernoff, and he wanted to bring a group down. So he brought a group down of, of leadership 
uh, to Philadelphia and sat in meetings, saw our practices, saw the things that we were doing with our players and the culture we were trying to build and a lot of things aligned. We were we were reading the same books, thinking about the same things, and had to summon the similar challenges. Uh, so we've kept, kept in contact over the years and, and have been able to sharpen each other along the way. And al- along the way, what made the Indians a team that, that drew your interest to, to want to work here? Uh, number one was culture. Um, there's a lot of good people in, in the building that are working all towards the same goal. Uh, a lot of people in this building that come up from interns all the way up to the front office and it's exciting they're very passionate about their this city they're very passionate about the players and the people who work here and it was something that I wanted to be a part of the clincher what happened this fall in terms of postseason (laughs) (laughs) that helped quite a bit I mean you want to you want to you want to do things at the highest level possible and and things like that are exciting exciting for the fans it's exciting for people like us in the building and it's exciting for the players who wouldn't want to be part of that here we are in January, and obviously a, a little ways to go before spring training, but you were out at the complex uh, not too long ago. What's going on this time of year out there? How many players are out there doing some things to try and get better? Right now there's about 40 players out there lifting, running, hitting, just trying to get themselves prepared for spring training. Uh, last week we had a mini camp where we had probably additional uh, 25 to 30 players, so probably 60 to 70 players um, down at the, at the facility, both lifting. We had a lot of our uh, coordinators there going through the, the skill aspects of, of what we do uh, on the diamond as well as meeting with players one-on-one just checking in to make sure that they're on the right track to be ready for when we start spring training. Well, hard to believe it's uh, not that far away uh, about a month for the big club and uh, a lot of the minor league guys will be there already and, and then others joining them. James best of luck with everything I know there's probably a lot on your plate but we certainly appreciate the time right now and uh, good luck with everything. Yeah, thank you very much looking forward to spending some time with you through the year. James Harris, the Indians' new director of player development, the new farm director here with the Cleveland Indians. Stay tuned. More to come after this on the Indians Radio Network. Geyer trying to deliver the Indians their 11th walk-off win. The pitch. Swung on, drilled. Deep right. Orlando going back toward the corner. Slice. He didn't make the catch. It's a fair ball. It's a game winner into the corner. Crispel score. Geyer gets mobbed. Out by short. And the Indians have walk-off win number 11. And the magic number's down to six. The Royals may challenge the call. As to whether it was fair or foul, Ned Yost comes out of the dugout. Now he waves, saying, nope, no need to. Brandon Geyer has delivered off the bench. Sliced one down into the right field corner. Orlando tried to make a sliding catch as he neared that sidewall and couldn't come up with it. And Brandon Geyer continues his impressive play. What a pickup. He has been for the Indians. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Don't forget, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so. At Indians Radio is the Twitter address for the Indians Radio Network. 
Well, the Indians with some housekeeping moves this week and then a nice contract extension signed by an Indians outfielder as well. Talking about Brandon Geyer, a two-year contract with a club option for the 2019 season for really one of the keys to the Indians' run to the postseason and then their success in postseason play as well as he was acquired at the trade deadline a year ago from the Tampa Bay Rays and really was a steady contributor for the Indians, especially against left-handed pitching. The right-handed hitting outfielder finished the season hitting 333 with a couple of home runs, 14 runs driven in, but an OPS of 907. You get up near 1,000 on OPS, and you are doing very well. And it was over 1,000 against left-handed pitching. He has gained notoriety for being hit by pitches more than any other player in Major League Baseball during his tenure, which began back in 2011 with Tampa Bay. So Brandon Geyer, who figures to be a key for the Indians this season in the outfield, signed to a two-year contract with a club option for the 2019 season. Also, the Indians announcing this week that they are inviting eight players from their minor league system to major league camp, many for the first time in their careers. A couple of pitchers in there, Josh Martin, a right-hander, who just completed his sixth season in the Indians organization, mainly out of the bullpen of late. Also, Tyler Olson, who will be in his first major league camp with the Indians. He was claimed off waivers from Kansas City last July. Now, position player-wise, some intriguing prospects will be making appearances in major league camp. Nelly Rodriguez, starting his sixth season in the Tribe organization, a former 15th-round pick. He was the 2015 Carolina League Most Valuable Player, spent his 2016 year at AA Akron, where he was named a midseason all-star for the Rubber Ducks. Also, Ronnie Rodriguez will be in Major League Camp. He's entering his seventh season in the Indians organization, spent the entire 2016 season at AAA Columbus, where he batted two fifty eight with 10 homers and 59 runs driven in. Also, a returnee to Major League Camp. We saw him there last year, infielder Eric Stamets, and he's uh, will be making his second appearance in spring training for the Indians. The former Angels farmhand spent last season splitting time between Akron and Columbus. Then three prospects that you have probably heard about quite a bit to this point and uh, could become key players for the Tribe at some point in time this season if they continue to progress. And we'll begin with Greg Allen, a speedy outfielder, fourth season in the Tribe organization. Breakout year a season ago, playing in 129 games, scored 119 runs, hit 295, spent the majority of the year at Lynchburg, and then was called up to Double A Akron. 45 total stolen bases for Allen. So uh, if you're looking for someone to replace the speed of Rajay Davis, maybe not at the start of the season, uh, maybe not even this season, but somewhere down the road, Greg Allen pointing that way if at all possible. Another player who has had an outstanding winter down in Venezuela after a solid season at AAA, Yandy Diaz, in his fourth season with the Tribe organization, hit 371 in the Venezuelan Winter League with an OPS of 961. And Bradley Zimmer, the former number one draft choice out of the University of San Francisco, spent most of his season with AA Akron, a little bit with AAA Columbus, and also spent some time in the Arizona Fall League getting closer and closer to the major leagues as Zimmer, and uh, he will be in big league camp for the first time. 
this spring. So that's some news and notes for you from the Cleveland Indians on the player invite and player contract front. Stay with us. We'll have more to come after this timeout on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us as we continue our hot stove shows. And once again, it's our Game of the Week segment. Hopefully a segment you've enjoyed throughout the offseason here as we take a look back at some of the great games of that special 2016 season. And today we feature Game 1 of the postseason for the Cleveland Indians Game one of the American League Division Series against the Boston Red Sox. It was Thursday, October the 6th. Indians and Red Sox meeting in the postseason for the first time since the American League Championship Series in 2007, won by Boston in seven games. The Indians did have a brief playoff appearance in 2013 in the wild card round against Tampa Bay, but that's been it since 2007 until this past fall. And what a memorable fall it was, and it began in memorable fashion with the Indians opening the postseason at home, and they would have home field advantage throughout the postseason because of how well they played during the season's final week. The Indians did not know if they would have home field until the final day of the regular season. That's when they defeated the Kansas City Royals, and the Red Sox lost at home to the Toronto Blue Jays. So the Tribe finished with 94 wins on the season, winning the American League Central Division, and they played the Red Sox, a 93-win team that won the American League East. And even though the Indians had the better record and more victories, most of the national prognosticators were picking the Red Sox to advance and eliminate the Indians in the American League Division Series. Game one pitching matchup. Rick Porcello, the American League Cy Young Award winner, a 22-game winner, was on the hill for Boston against Trevor Bauer, to some a surprise starter for game one of the postseason. But the Indians wanted to line their pitching up accordingly with Corey Kluber to follow and then Josh Tomlin in game three. They thought that would set them up better if the series went a little bit longer. As we now know, it did not. The Indians would sweep the series in three, but they needed to get off to that good start in game one. Now, before the game, Indians first baseman Mike Napoli, who has a ton of postseason experience, talked about how big home field advantage could be for the Indians, as well as preparing some of the younger players for the playoff atmosphere that was to come. For most of us, I think you're going to go out there, you're going to see the crowd. It's going to be, you know, crazy. The fans will be real loud. And, uh, you know, quite to be, to be honest, it's not really just another game. It's, uh, you know, it's the postseason, which, uh, you know, a lot more people are watching. You're on the, you know, in the spotlight. And um, it's, a, it's a fun time for me um, to be in that situation because I just love the, the atmosphere and, and the, you know, the pressure, you know, you have the, the good anxiety going. Um, you know, I'm going to try to tell these guys that, you know, you, it's okay to be, you know, have the butterflies. It's, a, it's, it's normal, and, uh, you know, you just got to be able to slow yourself down and, and uh, you know, control your breathing. And, and once you get involved in the game, it, it goes away, and you just start playing like, like you know how to. And the Indians will open at home by playing well the last weekend of the season. How big an advantage can that be now that they've accomplished that and get to at least have games one and two here? Yeah, well, I mean, for us, we play really well at home. So um, it was important for us to, 
you know, try to put ourselves in position to, to be able to have this. And, uh, you know, playing well during the, down, down the last couple of games, uh, you know, helped us get to where we, you know, eventually we we're going to play here. So, um, you know, as a team, we play really well, you know, at home. And uh, it was something that we wanted. So that's Mike Napoli talking about the importance of a good start, enjoying the moment, and everything that goes along with postseason. Well, Boston got off to the quick start. Top half of the first inning against Trevor Bauer. Dustin Pedroia led off the game with a double, and he would come around to score on a Hanley Ramirez double. And just like that, the Red Sox were in front, one nothing. But the Indians would get it right back. In the bottom half of the second inning, a leadoff double by Jose Ramirez, and then Lonnie Chisenhall came through. As good as the pitching is on both sides, the way Boston scores runs, the Indians know they have got to be able to get in that four to five run a game range. The 0-2, swung on line drive, base hit to center. Ramirez is going to try to score. Bradley Jr.'s throw to the plate, off mark. He scores, throw to second. Chisholm all in with a head first slide. We are tied at one. Lonnie Chisinau does better than move him over. He drives him in. Didn't take long for the Red Sox to strike back. Andrew Benintendi smacked a solo home run leading off the top half of the third inning, and Boston was back in front, this time by a score of 2-1. to one. But the Indians, again, would battle right back, and they did so in resounding fashion. Bottom half of the third inning, one of the most outstanding, exciting, memorable moments of the postseason and Roberto Perez would get things started. Now the payoff pitch. Swung on, hit high, deep to right. Betts is back, track near the wall, goal! Roberto Perez goes apo. He had three home runs all season. And he ties the game at two with a solo shot to right to start the Indians' half of the third. Later on in the inning, it was Jason Kipnis coming through. Kipnis has had pretty good success lifetime, hitting 323 against Porcello. The wind in the 0-1. Swung on, hit high, deep to right center. There she goes. And the Indians have their first lead in the playoffs. 3-2 Tribe. A no-doubt-about-it blast to right center by Jason Kipnis. And with the crowd barely settling back in, Francisco Lindor stepped to the plate. Now the 1-0 pitch. Swung on, hit high, hit deep to right. Bats at the wall, leaps, it is gone! A mob scene in the Indians' third base dugout. Back-to-back jacks. Three home runs in the inning. And pitching coach Carl Willis to the mound as the Indians have a 4-2 lead. Perez, Kipnis, Lindor all getting their first ever career postseason home runs. 
So the Indians had vaulted to a 4-2 lead, and the place was going bananas. It would hold up until the top half of the fifth inning. That's when the Red Sox got a run closer on a solo home run by catcher Sandy Leone to make it a one-run ball game. Then Andrew Miller was called on to take over for Bauer with two outs in the fifth inning and Big Poppy at the plate. Here's the 2-2. Swing and a miss, strike three. Got him with the slider. And the side is retired. Miller works out of it. And the Indians hang on to that one-run lead. The Red Sox do add a run on the Lyon home run after four and a half. Tribe four, Boston three. And this would be a trend throughout the postseason for the Indians and manager Terry Francona bringing Miller on in the biggest of situations regardless of the inning. Again, coming on in the fifth to face Big Poppy David Ortiz in what would turn out to be his final playoff series. Then bottom half of the fifth inning, Indians would try to answer immediately. After a Roberto Perez single, he moved up on a fly ball to the outfield, advancing from first to second, and that put him in scoring position for Jason Kipnis. Here's the 1-0. Swung on, line drive, base hit center field. Headed to third, being waved around is Perez. Here comes the throw, and he scores standing up. RBI single for Jason Kipnis, and the Indians are up 5-3. Meanwhile, Miller was sailing along a 1-2-3 sixth inning, and he was still out there in the seventh with one out, and Benintendi back to the plate. The 0-2. Swing and a miss. He just blew away Benintendi. Two down. Here comes Tito Francona. Miller will get a thunderous ovation. What a job he did tonight getting six outs in parts of three different innings. And he'll leave with two down in the seventh and the Indians up five to three. Listen to this crowd as he comes to the third base dugout. What a performance by Miller. That would be his last battery. Worked two innings, struck out four, walked one. No runs allowed on one hit. Boston, though, they wouldn't go away. Brock Holt's solo home run in the top half of the eighth inning off of Brian Shaw made it a one-run game again, 5-4. to four. But in the end, it was Cody Allen who came on with one out in the eighth, and that was just too much for the Red Sox. Now the 2-2 pitch. Check swing. He went around, strike three. Got him on a curveball. Perez dug it out, tagged out Bogarts. The Indians have struck out 11 Red Sox tonight. And Cody Allen rises to the challenge. Middle of the eighth, 5-4. to four, Cleveland leads Boston. It's not paramount to win game one in a five-game series. But, boy, when you're the home team, winning game one is mammoth. Almost puts you in a must-win tomorrow if you lose. The payoff pitch. Check swing, pitch in the dirt, appeal at first, throw by Perez to first. It's a strikeout! It's a ball game! Pedroia screaming at first base up, Phil Cousy. Here comes John Farrell. A curveball in the dirt. Pedroia, a check swing. On the appeal at first, Cousy raised the right arm and hand. Perez through to first to complete the strikeout. Pedroia and Farrell not happy with the call. 
and a look at the replay, he definitely went around. And Cody Allen gets a five-out save, and the Indians have won game one in the division series by a final score of five to four, and the heart stopped all over Northeast Ohio awaiting the appeal call. After the game, Allen stopped by to talk about the big win in game one for the Indians. Cody, this is game one. Can your heart take any more of this? You know what? We'll uh, we'll recover tonight. We'll go do what we need to do. We'll show up tomorrow. Be ready to go. <laughs> Cody, you had to know when Andrew Miller came on early that you were going to have to go more than one inning. That had to come into your thought process. Yeah, we all we all knew that we were going to try and piece it together any way we could. Uh, Tito had talked to all of us, you know, uh, Dan, myself, Brian, and uh, Andrew, and just kind of told us like, hey, we're gonna. You know, we're going to try and piece it together. Uh, if we got a lead and we uh, we feel like we can match up from the rest of the game, then we're going to try and do it. We were all on board with it. So, I mean, it worked out tonight. Uh, defense made some unbelievable plays. We got some big hits from the offense. Uh, I was pretty much just throwing breaking balls in the dirt back there. Roberto was just swallowing them all up. So, yeah, it, what it an a job, job by Roberto. And, Cody, the problem facing this Boston lineup is, even like tonight, Sandy Leone and Andrew Benintendi go deep. There's just not an, a soft out in that lineup. You know, I mean, they're, they have a relentless offense, but uh, I think we showed so do we. I think they were first in the league and run scored, and we were second. Um, so, I mean, you know, we, this is what we kind of figured it would be. You know, there's no real breaths uh, to take at any point in the lineup. Um, you know, we had two outs right there, and Benintendi was able to put a good swing on a breaking wall, put it in the hole, and then you turn the lineup over, and then you got a dangerous guy like Dustin Pedroia who's going to just battle you to the very end. So uh, it was a good ball game, and we're glad we came out on top. And it, it's long at-bats against this team. How It seemed like you took your time and went back behind the mound a couple of times. How important is that to, to do that? You can't, you know, you just cannot take any pitches off if you're second-guessing yourself on what to throw. You know, take take some time because when, you know, if you don't take a pitch serious or if you just kind of go with what's out there instead of really just trying to think things through, then they're going to hurt you. You know, that's a very professional club over there, and they put up very professional bats one through nine for the whole ball game. So it's uh, it's a grind for 27 outs. Hey, congratulations. Your first postseason save, and it was just a walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll take another one tomorrow. <laughs> Great job, Cody. Thanks, guys. And the following day, we had a chance to visit with Roberto Perez, who had a big day at the plate and also did some good work behind the plate as well. I had a lot of emotions, you know, going into that game. I went on first play of game, uh, talking to Napoli about, you know, playoff time since he's been here before in that situation. So, you know, he was just trying to tell me, you know, don't try to put a lot of pressure on yourself. Just go out and play the same game. Um... Just control your emotions and have good ABs, and and, uh, and that's what I was trying to do last night. First at bat, a home run. Hard to control the emotions while you're running around the bases. Oh man, uh, I mean, I I think I, I you know, through to count, I was just trying to put the ball in play. Uh, you know, I, I I've been I've been feeling a lot better uh, since the beginning of the year. Um, so it, it, it was it was nice to see you know the ball. You know, got out, so it was it was really emotional. Uh, I mean, I I was I, I I couldn't describe the feeling, so I was just it was an awesome win. So a five-four win.
for the Indians in Game 1 of the postseason, a memorable game, the three home runs in one inning, the Indians defeating the Red Sox on a day where the Red Sox threw their top starting pitcher and the Indians held back Corey Kluber for one more day and were able to get a good performance from Trevor Bauer and again the work of Andrew Miller, Cody Allen and the rest of the bullpen which would be a theme in the postseason. Well, they got it going early in game one of the postseason, a win over the Red Sox. Hope you've enjoyed this week's Game of the Week. We will take a break next week as we'll be broadcasting live from TribeFest over at the Intercontinental Hotel right near the Cleveland Clinic. And then we'll be back at it with our regular hot stove shows the following week. So a lot still to get to on the hot stove circuit before we join you from spring training in late February. Stay tuned. More to come after this on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, our final segment from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And this reminder, next week, our show will come to you from Tribe Fest at the Intercontinental Hotel right there by the Cleveland Clinic main campus, a sold-out event, the Indians announcing earlier this week. Tribe Fest is sold out. If you are going to be at the event next Saturday, autograph session tickets still remain. You can go to indians.com slash tribefest to find out more information. It does run from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., the first session, and then the second session from 2 p.m. until 7 p.m. But again, general admission tickets sold out. Still some autograph session tickets remaining. Go to Indians.com for all the information there. And we close this week's show recognizing the Hall of Famers. Three new members will be inducted into Cooperstown this coming July. Tim Raines, 10 years waiting to become a Hall of Famer, and he finally made it this season an outstanding career. You know, he was on base more than the great Tony Gwynn, who had that outstanding career. Tim Raines, an on-base machine, stole 50 bases in the first 54 games he played as a rookie back in 1981, and on he went from there. His career on-base percentage was 385. A lengthy career for Tim Raines. Never won a most valuable player, never won a gold glove, did not hit 300, but did a lot of things very, very well. And he is now a Hall of Famer. And the word is he will go in with the cap of the Montreal Expos on his plaque. Joining Tim Raines, Jeff Bagwell, the second Houston Astro in a very short period of time to be inducted, only two now, joining his uh, teammate and uh, the great catcher, Greg Biggio, and also second baseman and outfielder at times. But uh, Jeff Bagwell, one of the best sluggers of his era, 1991 Rookie of the Year, 1994 Most Valuable Player in the National League, 15 seasons overall with Houston, hit 449 home runs. And rounding out the class of 2017 for Cooperstown, Pudge Rodriguez, one of the great catchers of his era, or any era really, first ballot Hall of Famer is Rodriguez, 13 Gold Glove Awards, one of the outstanding catchers, of his era, 12 years with the Texas Rangers. That's the team that uh, he'll wear. He played for six different teams in his major league career, but the Rangers are the uh, the cap that he'll wear going into the Hall of Fame. So congrats to Tim Raines, Jeff Bagwell, Pudge Rodriguez, heading to baseball's Hall of Fame. That's going to do it for this edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us this weekend from Progressive Field. We'll catch you again next week. As Nick Camino will host this show from Tribe Fest, I'll be working some of the 
the stage and uh, main stage activities during that afternoon session. So uh, Nick will fill in for me and probably end up stopping by for a little bit. But uh, you'll hear the show from TriFest next week. So a change up there. and We'll get back to our hot stove editions the week after. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians radio network.